I know that uh, all of you here realize that uh, this book is the book we go by, that there's no other manual that we have for life that tells us how we are to live our lives, what's expected of us, what's going to happen to us when this life is over. And whatever psychology, whatever kind of helps there are out there that may be good, this is the ultimate. This is the final authority. This is God's book, and God has seen to it that it's preserved for us today. And it is not outdated. It is not superseded. It is not going to be laid aside by any of man's wisdom, but it has stood the test of time and will continue to stand the tests that are put upon it because it is the truth. The uh, saying is that the old blacksmith wore out many hammers on the anvil, but the anvil never wore out. If you don't know what an anvil is, it is a, a piece of solid steel that is used for forming horseshoes and other metal objects. Uh, they can take things from the heat and put that in onto the anvil and hammer it and do different things with it. Um, my father had an anvil and uh, I asked my brother about it somehow or another in his moving and different things in life it had gotten away. He don't know where the anvil went. Uh, but uh, it was something that uh, I had hoped I would be able to get uh, just because it was part of our lives back years ago. My uncle had an anvil also, my dad's brother, and uh, I've tried to track that down, but so far I haven't had any luck in that. Uh, but an anvil is an amazing thing. Uh, it has a, it has a shape and a and a form so that you can do different things on it. Has a a cone coming out on the one that we had in our shop that uh, you could bring things over it and hammer with it and so forth. Um, it was when I felt that I was getting to the age where I had a little bit of strength, uh, it, it uh, was the test that I used that I got a hold of the anvil and uh, I was able to pick it up. <laughs> and that was about it. I was able to pick it up off the ground uh, because it's quite a heavy piece of steel. So God's book is the anvil. It does not wear out. Uh, it can be used over and over again with the confidence that it's not going to change. It's going to be what it has been. So we're opening the word this morning, the book of Matthew, and we're looking at one verse in the book of Matthew. And there are many verses surrounding this verse that could be brought in 
on that. But we're looking at Matthew chapter 24. If you want to stand with me, we'll read that verse together. Verse 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And if that's not enough, you can look over in the book of Mark, at chapter 13 and verse 31. And Mark records for us that Jesus said, Heaven and earth shall pass away but my words shall not pass away. Sometimes we think maybe Jesus just said something once. That is not necessarily true. It may have been a part of his teaching from different sermons in different places. He may have said that more often than we realize, even though it's recorded twice for us different places that he preached and different people he spoke to because he said that's why he came forth to preach to the people. And so, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Oft times we focus on one part of the verse, but both parts are true, both the beginning and the end of the verse. Bow your heads with me for prayer. Dear Lord, uh, we come humbly to you this morning, realizing, dear Lord, that we are inadequate for the test, un unable to perform the task, that, Lord, if anything good is going to ac be accomplished this morning, it will be because the Holy Spirit comes and carries the word to our hearts. Help us, dear Lord, that we will be people of the word, people that believe the word, people who have a standard established by the word. We ask, dear Lord, your presence will continue with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we could take either part of the verse. We could talk about Jesus said, my word shall not pass away. And of course, in the introduction, I did say some things about that. But a lot of times, we don't realize the same, the same thing is true of the first part of the verse, that Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away. He didn't say they might, could be, it's a possibility. They didn't consider nuclear power back in that day, but remember, Jesus is God. Jesus knew back then what men have found out in our day and have changed our lives with the things that they have discovered. He knew all those things back then. These, these things were not hidden from him. For you realize that he is the one that was in charge of creation. You look back in the book of Genesis, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We believe in 
the Trinity. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe that God the Son is no less God than God the Father. The Holy Spirit is no less God than God the Son, God the Father. They are three in one. And the Jehovah's false witnesses foolishly attack the Trinity. Of course, all the cults, those that do not really believe the word of God, that rest it, that twist it, they will say, well, the Trinity makes no sense. Explain the Trinity. I remember what one man said when he was in a classroom and uh, the question was given by the professor in this religious classroom and it said, explain God in one paragraph. <laughs> I guess not likely, is it? And you know the story of the little boy that was coloring and teacher asked him, uh, what picture are you making? He said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher said, nobody knows what God looks like. And he said, they will when I get done. <laughs> so we know that's all foolishness, that there's God in, is incomprehensible because God is infinite. That means God is limitless. God is limitless. So there is no end to God. While our mental capacity has limitations, there's only so much we can absorb, only so much we can take in. And so... For us as finite or limited to be able to envelop or understand the infinite is an impossibility. Like a fish in the ocean that would be able to contemplate the vastness of the ocean and the large mammals that live in the ocean and the properties of the water and all the things that had to do with the fish's existence. We are similar to that in that we do not have the capability, we do not have the mental capacity. We've had some, we've had some great minds in our world that have found a lot of things out. But you realize that when Edison did all his experiments and did all his discoveries, that he was only uncovering things that God had already put here. You realize that when Morris invented the, the telegraph, and that was a big deal, you know, you, the, you could send those signals over the, the wire and people distance off could understand what was, what was being 
communicated by the, by the dots and dashes of the taps. Uh, God knew all that stuff before. And then when, when all that became obsolete and wireless came into being, God knew all that. God's the one that established all that. God, God is the one that made all those things possible. It wasn't a surprise to heaven. It wasn't, wasn't big news in heaven that one angel flew across heaven and said, guess what? Uh, they, they're communicating wirelessly now. God did all that. And that signal that comes over the air, uh, and I still get my television signal over the air. It's not always the best. And sometimes with the digital, their face gets all blocky and, and, and then it disappears and maybe, maybe it's not even on there. Maybe I give it up for the night. But I'm just not that interested in getting cable and satellite uh, and all that kind of thing. So, you know, I know how to turn it off, get a book, read a book, do something else. There's always something else to do. And most of the stuff that I see coming on the television now isn't worth my time anyway. A lot of us find ourselves going back, don't we, and watching uh, Andy Griffith, uh, old Andy and Mayberry, and uh, watching old Floyd the barber, and, uh, and their halting uh, different ways of doing things, all their hominess. Uh, so, yeah, we go back, we watch some of the old stuff, and uh, the new stuff, uh, it's so sensuous and wants to lead your mind into ways of perversion, wants you to think that, that abnormality is normal, that this is the way you're supposed to be, that it doesn't matter about God's laws, that uh, God made male and female really doesn't apply anymore, that there are so many different genders. Uh, we still believe that God created male and female, and if people can't figure it out, uh, it only proves their lack of intelligence to accept what God has already made. And so, yes, uh, God's the one that made all of it, and uh, we read about it. Uh, in the book of John, that's the gospel of John where the scripture tells us that in the beginning, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word is capitalized because the Word here stands for Jesus Christ. So when you read the gospel of John, you come to in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. He was the agent of creation. That's what it says. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. He was not created. He was the creator. He was the maker. He was the doer. He's the one that put it all together. 
And as such, when he created it, he knew what to put in it. He knew how much to put in it. He knew the balance of all things. He knew just how much moisture we needed to have in our atmosphere so that we could exist. Uh, he, knew, he knew how to store the reserves of oil uh, in the earth. He knew how to, under the earth's crust, put the valuable things that men mine for today, diamonds and valuable metals. He knew, he knew how much, you don't have to worry. This, this world will go as long as he sees fit for it to go. And when it's time for this world to end, he'll be the one that ends it. It will not be some explosion that has just accidentally happened because of war between nations. He is still in control. He is still in charge. And you can, you can take great comfort in that, that the God that started us on this journey is the God that's still in charge. He's the God that has the power, and he's the God that will terminate things when he sees fit. And so, yes, talk about climate change. We've had climate change, and I'm not saying man should not be a good provider for clean energy and things like this. We should do the best we can. But it makes you a little bit uneasy when you think that they kind of want Americans to do without and, and see things become unavailable when uh, other nations are not on board, that other nations are great polluters, that uh, one of our natural sources of energy coal that's been used for a long time <coughs> in power plants, and I'm not saying that it's not good, good to use natural gas, it is, but you realize that a lot of coal was shipped over to China, and they're, they're happy to burn it. They're not too worried about it, and the smog may be so thick over there that you can cut it with a knife, like lunch meat, uh, but that don't bother them at all. But a lot of times things are brought on the American people that cause undue hardship and deprivation when it's not shared by other nations. So yes, Jesus is the creator. He knew what he was doing when he put this world together. It wasn't a surprise to God when it was found that sound waves could be used 
light waves could be used. As far as, I mean, that was the big thing years ago that, that light could transmit sound, that that's how our voices were being heard on the other end of a telephone line. So it wasn't a surprise to God. Uh, he's the one that spun the worlds into existence. Psalm 8, I believe it is, says the worlds are the work of your fingers. Just, God just spun those planets out there. Yes, it's an amazing thing that man today can put satellites in orbit and all the things that men can do. But God's the one that put the universe together. God's the one that put the stars in space. He's the one, he's the one that started all this in motion. And you can read about that in Colossians. In the book of Colossians, in chapter 1 and verse 15, talking about Jesus. says, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. He's the first begotten from the dead, in other words. He is the beginning of the creation of God as we are born again. Jesus is our elder brother. And it says, he's the image of of the invisible God. And Jesus in John 14, remember what he said? <clears throat> he that has seen me has seen the Father. You can't see God, he's invisible. But if you're looking at me, who else could say that? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's what John 14 tells us. He's the image of the invisible God. It says in verse 16, for by him were all things created. And we just said that, didn't we? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Wow, this was written back before the time of the microscope, wasn't it? How about the telescope? If there was any, it was pretty primitive. <clears throat> Visible and invisible. All created by him. And we know that there are many things that are seen today that were not seen in time past by the aid of microscope and telescope. And the, Paul goes on to say, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And look at verse 17. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And by him all things consist. Do you know what that means? It means he is, he is the glue that holds everything together. What, what keeps the, the moon and the sun where they are? What, what keeps the stars where they are? He is the one that holds everything together. He's the one that keeps everything in place. 
It's by his power. I read in the, the dispatch last week that now they don't know if the moon has magnetic attraction or not. How about that? We were always taught that, that the moon controlled the waves of the sea. You know, the roofers told me that I have such a thing in my roof called moon nails. Moon nails. Because there are certain nails that will come up. And they say that the moon pulls them up out of your roof. And that's what causes them to stick up that way. They're, they're called moon nails. So what about, we thought, we thought the moon was a gigantic magnet, and now we've landed these things on the moon, and they've analyzed things, and they, they don't think that the core of the moon actually is a big magnet. They maybe found a little bit of magnetism in the dust, but they're scratching their heads again. They're, they're guessing again at how this all could work. Actually, it's impossible, folks. <laughs> it's impossible. And they want to say, you know, all this happened with a big bang, that it just all happened, and there was some kind of cosmic dust. And somehow, that cosmic dust uh, began to gather and, and then planets were formed and somehow uh, part of the explosion flew off certain fragments and then from this there was, there was what we know as earth and we just happened to be in the exact right place we need to be because if we were any closer to the sun we would burn up. And if we were any further from the sun, we'd freeze up. That's what they tell us. That we're just in the right place to exist, for life to thrive on this planet. And how it thrives. My goodness, how it thrives. I hear people, you should see the weeds in my garden. <laughs> yeah. We don't have to worry too much about the tomato plants taking over, do we? But the weeds, they really go. And they really keep going. <clears throat> so, yes, that's what they tell us. We're just in the right place. But we know why we're in the right place, friends. Because God put this earth in the right place. And God started it turning on its axis and God started the revolution of the earth God's the one that started it somebody made up a little ditty about life beginning you know I, I kind of like what somebody said when you know we're hearing a lot of things about the Columbus Zoo today <clears throat> about some of the misspent money and so forth uh, you know there's a verse in the Bible where I have to give this a little foundation because some people do not remember that Cain asked the words when God asked him where his brother was. 
Remember what Cain said? Am I my brother's keeper? Well, somebody, some brainiac said that there was a man who worked at the zoo and one of the monkeys looked at him and asked another monkey, am I my keeper's brother? Well, think about it. Think about it. Am I my keeper's brother? So somebody made up a little rhyme about it. And they say, once I was a tadpole beginning to begin, and then I was a monkey with my tail tucked in, and then I was a monkey in a bamboo tree, and now I am a professor with a Ph.D. <laughs> well, kind of ridiculous, isn't it? Kind of ridiculous. Because we know that God is the creator and Christ is the sustainer. By him all things exist. And so we can get involved in a lot of things about what's going to go on with this world. And there's a lot of churches that thrive on the teaching of eschatology. And I told you last week what eschatology is. Do you remember what eschatology is? Yeah, it's the doctrine of future things. The doctrine of future things. And so, when we talk about the doctrine of future things, it is what is going to happen as far as world events are concerned. Does anybody know any of the words that people talk about when it comes to future events? Do you know anything about Gog and Magog? That wasn't his, that wasn't his, her wife. <laughs> Gog may have been a person, Magog, a place, but talks about it back in the book of Ezekiel, and it's pretty scary. Uh, somebody told me that they were watching Afghanistan, the things that were going on there, and they became so upset by it that their blood pressure went way high. Well, you can get your blood pressure way high thinking about what some people are teaching about what's going to take place in our world. And it seems like they have all the answers. They know everything God's going to do, when God's going to do it, and how it's all going to take place. But my friends, the important thing is that we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. And we know that we are born again from above, that we are the children of God, and that we're walking in the revelation that has been given to us in the word of God. And whatever else happens, we don't have control over it anyhow. And we can worry about it, and we can get hyper about it, and we can think, well, how's God going to pull this one out? You know, and it's like, 
well, me and God, we got to take care of this. I don't think so. I think it's up to God. You know, back in Ezekiel chapter 38, 30, 39, it tells about when there's going to be such a battle, such a war, that there's going to be a, a great loss of life. And, and people will track this back. They will go back and they will say, well, this is Russia. And, and uh, this, is, this is Afghanistan. <clears throat> and we're seeing, we're seeing prophecy that's going to be fulfilled. And some of it may be when we're alive. Some of it may not be when we're alive. And it may not be exactly what we think it's going to be. You realize that when Ezekiel wrote 38 and 39 that they described things in the, in, the, in the language of their day. How would you, if you lived before there was a rocket, how would you describe it? How would you describe a supersonic jet? How would you describe a missile? Battles going on with missiles flying. How would you describe that when all you know is swords and spears and the weapons of that day? You would be struggling, wouldn't you, to try to say, oh, you know, I, I saw this and I saw that. But how would you get that message across? So when you read 38 and 39, you have to keep that in mind. God says that he's going to defend Israel at this time. It says God is going to cause some things to happen. Uh, that there's going to be celestial intervention that God's going to interfere with this battle that is going to take place. We know that God has predicted it, and we know that God's going to show his power. But it tells us that it's going to take months for them to bury the dead from this battle. And I know that there are those, they'll say, now watch, you know, Russia's getting ready. They're going to come down. We're going to see this happen. Folks, I've heard people give predictions before, and I know that Man's predictions are not always accurate. But I know something. When Jesus said, Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. I know that. And I know what that is, and I'm responsible for that. I'm responsible to seek God for the new birth. I'm responsible. Because one of these days, every one of us is going to come down to the end of life. And whether... Whether we live long enough to see Gog and Magog do their thing, or how about another scary one? How about over in the book of Revelation, chapter 16? And bear in mind, I'm not saying these things are not going to happen. I'm just saying don't live with dread and foreboding about things you can't control. Keep your faith in Jesus Christ and let the 
people that want to make predictions make their predictions, but don't let your life be swayed away from the truth of the gospel. The Bible says that there's coming a time when evil is going to be in charge of this world, and we believe it very likely will be after the time that Jesus comes and takes his church away. And folks, you know there's a difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. There is a difference. The rapture of the church is where Christ comes and he does not touch the earth, but he draws those faithful believers up to him and the dead in Christ are the first to rise and we join them, those of us that know the Lord as our Savior. And the big key verse there is that we shall all be changed. We shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. We're all going to be changed. We're all going to be caught up together to be with the Lord. That is the rapture of the church. Many believe that then to follow, and it seems to go along with Scripture, that there'll be great tribulation, that evil will have its sway, that an antichrist will be in charge, that the mark that will allow you to buy or not buy will be given to you based on whether or not you accept this antichrist. And that's why a lot of people are scared today with all the pressure that's coming to say you will do this or else you will not be able to work, you will not be able to make a way for your family to survive, you will not be able to get food. So many look to this, and we can get pretty worked up about it. The Bible tells us that during this time then, at, after, after so long a time, that there comes a, there comes a time when God gathers together those that are in opposition to him. <clears throat> in verse 16 of chapter 16, He gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Have you ever heard of Armageddon? <coughs> and it says that at this battle of Armageddon that God has a decisive battle. There's a terrible earthquake. Verse 20, every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And there was hail out of heaven that weighed 100 pounds. A hailstone weighing 100 pounds, approximately, 75 to 100 pounds. We do not find that people are repentant. Rather, they're unrepentant. But God overthrows the power of the enemy. And that is at Armageddon, which means... It's Har Megiddo in the original, which means the mountain of Megiddo, where many battles were fought. That's where Gideon fought 
his battle with the Midianites. That's where Barak and Deborah fought their battle and where God gave victory. It was in that valley. It is believed at that time that the battle will rage throughout the whole nation of Israel. For you know, Satan hates Israel, and Satan wants to do away with Israel. And that's why Israel is in the, in the news so much today. Yes, but we are told that as the church, we are safe with Christ. And it does not matter the timing and the sequence of how God does it, but God is in charge of this world. And God is in charge of when this world will come to a close. And we do not have to get up every morning and worry about what has happened and what's going on in the news. God is in control of it. And we just have to make sure that we're in Christ. Christ is in God, and we are secure in Him, in His care and keeping. So, when there's a lot of distractions, when it's like, We've got to do all these things. We've, we've got all these different things to be concerned about. The most important thing you should be concerned about is Jesus Christ, your Savior. Do you know him as your Lord? And if you don't know him, if you haven't come to a point in your life where Jesus has forgiven your sins, then you ought to worry every day about that. You ought to be concerned every day about that. Because that makes all the difference in whether or not you're going to spend eternity with the Lord in heaven or whether you're going to spend eternity in hell away from the blessings of God. Yes, the Bible still says there's a hell. And whether or not people believe it or not, it's talked about more out in the language of the common people than what it is in the pulpits of the churches today. Because many churches do not talk about a hell, but there is a hell, and the Bible tells us that hell lies at the end of a Christless life. We'll all have to answer. We'll have to give an account. And the only way we can make it to heaven is through Jesus Christ, asking his forgiveness of our sins. And aren't you glad he'll forgive everyone that calls upon him? <clears throat> Tell, the Bible tells us, that we should seek the Lord while he can be found. There comes a time when we cannot seek the Lord, when we cannot find the Lord. But to know that we're safe in him and in his keeping, it's something to rejoice in. Yes, we see a lot of things that trouble us in the world today. My friend, remember God is still God. He's still in charge. And we have every reason to be full of faith and hope. Did you, did you perchance hear what I heard? That with all the furor about the pandemic, that statistics are still about the same for the number of people that die that it hasn't changed greatly, that, yes, there was a revision of life expectancy in 
the United States of America, you heard that. That was not from pandemic. That was from drug overdoses, from people ODing on drugs, and by that, shrinking the age of expectancy, the upper levels of what people could attain because they have, they have checked out early because of drug usage. And so with all of that, with all of that, it still comes down to basic, the days of our years are three score and 10. Some of us do not make it to three score and 10. I was thinking the other day, hey Goble, you passed your three score and 10. If by reason of strength they be four score. What is four score? A score is 20, isn't it? Four score would be 80. I mean, I didn't major in math, but I did do general math, and I know that much, that that would be 80. And so I'm getting close to that. And what if we go past that? Well, it's by reason of strength and the grace of God. We do not know what's going to happen to us on the morrow. But we do know that God is able for us day by day, however many years he gives us. And so to trust him, to abide in him, to know that our hope is in him. Have you done that? Have you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins? Have you asked Jesus to be your savior? Say, well, I'm a Christian. I was born in America. No, you're not. You have to ask Jesus to forgive your sin. You have to ask Jesus to be your Savior. And he always says yes. He always says yes. <clears throat> I read an interesting thing about Winston Churchill. <clears throat> when Winston Tur Churchill was planning his own funeral, he planned it out this way. Following the prayer by the Archbishop of Canterbury and the singing of God Save the King, a trumpeter perched in the highest reaches of the dome of St. Paul's Cathedral sounded the last post, or what we call taps. You know what, how that goes. Day is done. Day is done. As the last sorrowful note faded, <clears throat> high in another gallery sounded the stronger, blaring revelry, revelry, which is what sounded in the barracks. It's time to get up. It's time to get up. Winston Churchill was saying yes. I'm, I'm done in this life, but there's going to be a trumpet blast of revelry, and I am going to be raised from the dead. I'm going to go to be with the Lord. That was his expression of faith, the, the call to rise. Will you stand with me this morning?
Are your sins covered by the blood? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you asked his forgiveness? Is he your hope this morning? Do you know if something happened to you that you would be with Christ? If you need to pray this morning, say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm facing some uncertain times in my life. You're welcome to come and pray. Folks, we can let Satan swallow us up with worry, anxiety, fretting, or we can know that Christ is our Savior and live for Him day by day. Is there anybody else that'd like to come and pray for whatever reason? Do you need, do you need spiritual help this morning? We won't put you under any kind of test or any kind of embarrassment, but we would help you. And you could know you're a Christian this morning if you want to pray. You can know everything's okay between your soul and the Savior.